Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is Benji from Skin Dread. Big up Elan B's podcast. Hear this. You know what? One thing I know. That's not Mepal. That's not Mepal. That's not Mepal. You're the podcast. That's not Mepal. That's not Mepal. That's not Mepal. You're the podcast. I choose run that doing it now. Elan B's am I running it now. So put your arms in the air. Let them know that you're up. And we bring the metal news and you know we don't stop. We tell them that's not Mepal. That's not Mepal. Step up, Beezer, and let the people them know what's going on at the Evan Meckle world right now. Go on, Mick, tell them. Tell them. Go on. Go on, son. Hello, everybody. Welcome to That's Not Metal Extra, powered by Marshall. Hashtag live for music. I'm Bees, and I don't even know where to start with today's show because it's a pretty spectacular one. So... At the moment, in the United States of America, Enter Shikari are going around the country playing their debut album, Take to the Skies. Uh, I'm not going to do any spoilers for it, but we are reviewing that show. I'll be talking about it on this Friday's That's Not Metal, so make sure you are subscribed on iTunes and SoundCloud. But more importantly than that, I got the chance to sit down and chat to Raul Reynolds, uh, frontman of Enter Shikari and one of the sharpest minds on the face of rock music today. And it was an a pretty explosive chat, I have to say. I got on my soapbox and had a rant or two. It's always interesting to hear what's going on inside the mind of Raoul, but uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit later on. So, on That's Not Metal.net at the moment, you can go and check out our most underrated albums. So, when you subscribe to That's Not Metal.net, which is where all of our premium podcasts exist, this is where we do over like super long podcasts on various different things that happened over the course of rock music we also do charts because i don't talk about this enough like steve and i uh of course who host the show every single friday we uh we've done things like talk about our top 20 albums of all time that was live in front of a studio audience that was awesome to do we spoke about our top 20 metal bands of all time you can check out specials on machine head metallica nirvana which i think a bunch of you enter shikari fans that might be joining us for the first time would love. That's all available over on that'snotmetal.net. We are also in conjunction with Creeper, their headline tour that's going across the United Kingdom to celebrate their uh, debut album, Eternity in Your Arms, that comes out on March 24th. We are involved with this tour because it is one of the very best packages of new music anywhere on earth for years. Creeper, Milk Teeth, Energy from Boston coming over to the UK to bring their brand of hardcore to our shores for the very first time. And Puppy are going to be opening the date. That is a four-band bill, four of the very best breaking bands anywhere on earth. So, a bunch of the dates are already sold out. London, Southampton, Birmingham, gone. Done. Nada. But 
you can still get tickets. I can't believe there are tickets still left for this. If, if this tour is coming to your town, what the hell are you doing that night that is better than that? Creeper, Milk Teeth, Energy and Puppy hitting Manchester Academy 2 on the 25th of March, the 26th at Glasgow Garage, the 27th at Newcastle University, the 28th at Leeds Stylus, as I've already said, the 30th, 31st and 1st in London, Southampton and Birmingham are already sold out, but you can still get tickets for the final date of the tour, Cardiff Tram Shed. This is all in association with That's Not Metal. We love these bands and we are delighted to be involved with this. Of course, if you are a Creeper fan, there are sign-ins happening to celebrate the uh, release of that debut album, Eternity in Your Arms. They're all at HMV venues, the 24th of March at Manchester, the 27th of March at Newcastle, the 28th at Leeds HMV, the 29th at Southampton HMV, and the 30th of March at London's Oxford Street. You can also get a very special purple cassette version it looks gorgeous. Go and have a look at it on Creeper's Facebook page. You can get your hands on one of those only at those select HMV stores where the signings will be happening. And we get to talk about that album in just two weeks' time. We are very excited about it. Okay, there's enough spiel from me. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So, I sat down with Raul Reynolds from Enter Shikari. Um, I, like, we spoke a lot about Take to the Skies, of course, because that's the that's the uh, the celebration that they are taking on the road at the moment. But I have to say, and I'm sorry if this sounds like an advert, but I admire Enter Shikari more than just about any other band on earth in terms of the way they go about things. I love that they are an independent band, and I love that absolutely everything they've got uh, that they put out, that they put their name upon, uh, really carries the weight of love inside it, be that their music, uh, their live shows. But at the moment, I'm specifically talking about, they've just released a book called Dear Future Historians. It is lyrics and ex-jess... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to even... <laughs> I'm not going to even attempt that word. It's lyrics, all right? Of Raoul Reynolds. Um, and he dissects his lyrics. And it's so interesting. But beyond that, when I talk about that ethos, there are incredible photos in this that are all taken by their friends. And we talk a lot about DIY ethics and how Enter Shikari came to, uh, to, to have that in their, in their DNA in this chat. We also talk about brand new music. So I've seen on Twitter that the band have been working on new material. I've seen how pumped they are. So we, uh, we talk a lot about that. We talk about how the world's mental political situation right now is going to affect that as well. Because we looked at, and when they say, and I say this in the interview, and I'm going to say it again now. When people say there are no political bands anymore, I want to take the name Enter Shikari and ram it so far down their throat that my fist comes out of their asshole. What a brilliant mental image that is. But yeah, it really bums me out when people say there are no political bands. And so I talk a little bit to Rao about how the world is currently, uh, <laughs> the, the problems that are facing the world and how, he, how him, as the mouthpiece of Enter Shikari, how he is going to digest that and spit it back out at us on a new album. But that's all to come in this chat. It's about an hour long. It's very intense. This is me. Bees, talking with Rao from Enter Shikari at the Roxy in uh, Los Angeles, California. I'll see you at the end of this interview. See you in a bit. Enjoy the chat. They don't even do aircon in here, do they? Oh, Christ. In America, there's usually aircon everywhere. But like... And I've got enough hot air to fucking <laughs> <laughs> to fill several buildings. Right. Uh, so, 
Take to the skies then. Let's start with it. Um, so what, when did the decision come to do a 10th anniversary show? Because we'll talk about the record shortly, but like, like I, was, I was intrigued by that decision, I have to say. Yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of sizzling as a conversation for like probably about a year. Um, well, yeah, about maybe two years ago, we probably started talking about it mm. because you, you can sort of feel the pressure already start to mount because like you know people online are starting to say like oh you know the 10 year anniversary is coming up so you sort of are we gonna do it like let's mm. just start speaking about it now and initially we were just like no it just feels too obvious too trite and mm. then i think i it was wasn't until i actually listened to the record and in complete honesty for the first time in what must have been nine probably ten years wow um and it was then that all the nostalgia started flowing back. And it's like, you know what? Like, our whole career is about being, like, bludgeoning ourselves to be constantly looking forward. Yeah, and progressive like being, all the time. Yeah, yeah, like, trying to, like, be the vanguard, man. Yeah. But, like, so it was like, you know, let's just indulge in this in this one little piece of, like, kind of, not not just celebrating that album, but just, like, celebrating the fact that our band is, is still going and, and still going from strength to strength as well. Yeah. Like, um, and I think, you know, those people that have stuck with us since those early days, hopefully, well, yeah, they, they, I think they, they appreciate it. So. What was that initial listen like? So when you, oh, when, you when you push play that, that day and yeah. listen to it for the first time, what was that like? <sighs> it's so weird. Like I, I, I get such powerful, like nostalgia for music. Like, I, I don't know whether I'm on, I'm on some sort of spectrum or some mental health spectrum or something, but like, it's, especially when you haven't listened to something for so long, it's like that era is literally just being bottled, like, and and then you're drinking it and it's and it just hits you so hard. So it was, it was it was quite emotional, like listening back. Um, like I I, in all honesty, I can't stand the vocals because it just reminds me of having nodules. I can't remember whether it was just before or just after we recorded, but I was, yeah, either just getting over them or just developing them. So it just reminds me of pain, basically. Um, and you, I read in, in, the, uh, in the Dear Future Historians book where you were like, I cringe about it because I, like, I made the decision to record it. Like, so, so can, you, can you elaborate yeah. a little bit on that? So Yeah, well, um, nodules is a... A kind of like a, I can't remember the word, so, solops? So, I don't, mm. some, yeah. a, a kind of warty, disgusting thing that you get on your vocal cords from basically bad technique or overuse or whatever. Um, and it, it takes, they don't just develop overnight. Like, you know, if you're just screaming all day, you'll recover. Like it, it's, it's over a long period of time that they develop. So I, I was completely oblivious. Like, you know, I was still sort of finding my voice. We'd been a band for three four years really um well shikari anyway um before we recorded that first album so I, I was still sort of i don't know kind of yeah finding what my sound would be and experimenting and um yeah and damaging my, my vocal cords basically <laughs> so yeah it just th there's a lot of pain <laughs> um your, your voice goes very hoarse very thin and mm. that that's the thing that really aggravates me is like the whole like some people don't notice it at all and they just enjoy the rawness of yeah. it which is is cool and I wish I could hear it like that but I think because I did it and I have the 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 sort of that painful reference and memory that yeah I can't 
I can't sit with it. It's so funny that I didn't, because uh, I didn't know that. And like, I've always just thought like, that happens because you were yeah. super, how old were you when Takes of the Scars came out? Uh, so it's 2007. Uh, um, 10 years younger than you are now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Uh, so, so, um, so yeah, I always just associate it with like, you know, young bands, especially yeah. young vocalists, you know, it takes a while to do, to develop that sort of thing. I always yeah. had it down as that sort of thing. But um, it was, it was probably some of that as well, mm. but it, there was definitely that. I, I have a vivid memory of going to uh, the sort of throat specialist doctor and having uh, basically a, a thin silver wire pushed up my nostril so it had a camera on the end of it and then it would go down your nostril passage and to the back of your throat and take all the pictures and yeah i remember how that comes being... they didn't make it into the book that's that, I, that would have been ideal they, i even kept the pictures and it's so disgusting it's like <laughs> it just looks like something out of alien or something it's <laughs> grim I, I, I tried to find it to put that in the book but no it's like one of the other things with with looking back to 10 years is um i was i was blown away by um by your stance as a lyricist like that early to be so um aware of the fact that you were you were uh it, like not political to the to the extent that you are now but like that the the um the seeds were sown for that mm. super early something that i wanted to get a little bit more from you on was um when you were saying about like you were really influenced by like politically charged hardcore and that sort of thing i think yeah, that yeah. was that was what was uh, put in there can, like can you can you like stretch that a bit for us yeah like what, like, uh, what were the what were the uh, the initial um influences at least lyrically probably first of all i was very much in the local scene bubble like i i discovered punk and night for and hard- yeah yeah <laughs> man like cry for silence sick, yeah night. um yeah well i think it, it was probably the first bands that I really felt a buzz from like either hearing lyrics or hearing them describe a song on stage before they played it and sort of like, oh, okay. So they're not just running around screaming. They're actually saying like mm. real things. Um, and that, that would have been like bands like uh, Cap Down and Adequate Seven and like seeing them at our, our local. Um, and then from that, pl- I remember playing with, um, do you remember not, uh, not, the chariot, but char- chariots. No. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. From what f- yeah. Maybe. Um, but we played a few shows with them, um, and I can remember it. And this must have been about two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Right. And and I can remember he said you sound like Refuse, and I didn't know who Refuse were. Which, looking back, I was like, what? How can you not yeah. know? Um, and and so I discovered them, and then that sort of kind of opened me up to more of the global hardcore scene. So sort of discovering sick of it all uh youth of today and and just 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 discovering that heavy music wasn't just like lincoln park and corn and things like that um that that was that really hit hit home for me so i think it was it was a mixture of the the local bands and the the bigger european and american hardcore bands tell me if i'm going a little bit too deep on this but i think the natural inclination when you're young is to think about yourself and to, to, yeah. and to write things about like personal experience and things like that yeah like that was a bold thing to do to go straight into to at least like uh social commentary yeah how much do you relate to the lyrics on this record because going out and playing take to the skies yeah like how how much do you 
that you, when you sit here now and you look back at those lyrics and you're going in and doing it every night. Yeah. We're, this is the like that we're we're at the Roxy on the Sunset Strip. This is the third show uh, on this whole run. Yeah. So. Like, do, do you feel, do you still feel kinship with those lyrics from 10 years ago and how so or, or not? I, th- I think I do. Like, in, in a way, I'm kind of glad that I didn't do the whole sort of uh, very self-conscious, just, you know, breaking up with girlfriends and whatever, quarrels with friends and all the sort of typical things that that young, well, the bands around us were, were singing about. Um, I don't know why I didn't. It, I didn't have, like, some aversion to it. Um it was probably more like a, a sort of an introversion, a, a diffidence. Like I, I'd, I was probably quite shy about speaking about personal stuff. So I think there was a bit of that. But then I think just seeing, again, seeing like the the scenario of a of a hardcore punk show that when when it's done right, when there's like, I mean, because I was in plenty of shows where there was fights and it was grim and it, it wasn't about unity but when you do go to those shows and it just feels so communal and and when they're speaking about you know we, we had loads of run-ins with our local council and stuff and they were trying to stop gigs and kind of any youth culture in general they seem to be against so when when you find yourself in that environment with lots of people with the same not not even the same background but the same like cause and the same fight to to get behind mm-hmm there's just something so powerful and I think it's, it's freeing yourself from, from the ego or whatever from, yeah. the, from the personal and becoming part of something bigger that, that just inspired me straight away I guess that's quite reflective of the scene that you come from as well because mm. it, it did it, like that whole like in the same way as like when Funeral broke and then it was all the Welsh bands it did feel like mm. at that particular time like Watford St Albans that kind Mate. of area was, was a hotbed we were spoiled rotten mm. like absolutely like yeah, that that whole sort of very tech scene. I think we were, mm. you know, we, that's something that me and Chris like absolutely loved. Would be going everywhere, following Aconite round, and um, and then obviously recording with Dan, Dan Weller from Sixth. Um, eventually, was like a was like coming back to our to our roots for that for that third uh, third album. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. No, no, we we were we were spoiled. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask a little bit about the the kinship. Because when you when you broke, uh, like I don't know if this is, no, fuck it, I'll say that afterwards. Um, like, did you feel kinship with the bands around you when things started breaking? So just pre Take to the Skies and and as the album was coming mm. out, and it was like, I I mean, uh, to, to my uh, not just geographically, like Gallows was the, was the band that I would say there there would be not even sonically the same, but a similar mindset. Mm. But because when you look at the other bands, the, you know, Bring Me the Horizon, You Me at Six, the Blackout, Kids in Glass Houses, like that era yeah. of, of British bands. Did you feel kinship with that scene or not? Because you were so sonically different, but yeah. yet there was there was a burgeoning something happening in the UK at that time. I think all, all the shows we seemed to play at that time, or especially before we released our album, were just us playing with local bands, getting gig swaps, smaller bands, you know, we're uh, the Mose Isley, Flood of Red, um, just kind of, yeah, touring with, like we started our own uh, promotions company where we promoted our youth, youth club, The Pioneer, 
Um, How old were you then? Like, like teenagers when you did that? Yeah, uh, 17, 18, so I think, sick. when we started awesome. Just purely because the, the council were just being such arseholes. And I think the big sort of promotion company at the time had just sort of finished. And there was a, a gap and no one was putting on shows. And we're like, okay, we've got to do this. We actually started it as a... Um, Oh, what is it? In um, is it sixth form? You do the um, Duke of Edinburgh, oh, Duke right. of Edinburgh yeah, Award, yeah. and um, <laughs> we we got kicked out after about a few weeks because we we just basically didn't do the paperwork that we were supposed to do. <laughs> um, but then, funnily enough, we were the only Such one. Such punks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. No one can be asked. To do the paperwork. <laughs> but out of like all the people that did Duke of Edinburgh in our school, like t- two years later, the only ones that were still going and like do- doing a. Uh, a company or like something that was still an entity was us. So the only ones who failed at the first time. Um, yeah. I can't remember what I was saying. And now, then and when you came out of your local scene, like, and in, uh, and as part of that thing, cause it was like having worked in the media, like it, it was, it was very much a wave. Like, mm. I, I don't know, that's a lame way of putting it, but like, so, so how did you, did you feel like black sheep or did you feel like you fit in with those bands? No, we, we always felt like black sheep, like no matter the bill we were on, um, you know, on the sort of, on the pop punk bills, we were too heavy. On the hardcore bills, we were not heavy enough. And it was just always like that, you know. And and we really would take every gig we had. So like we'd find ourselves playing with folk bands, with like the most old school purist metal bands who would hate our guts. Like we we played every scenario imaginable with every emotion involved like yeah loads of dudes in black t-shirts hearing a synth and going nope (laughs) exactly yeah it was was some hairy moments but um no i I don't think we ever felt part of anything Mm. um i don't know i don't really know whether we wanted to or not i i think that there was a lot of there was a sort of under the the carpet competitiveness to our scene even though it was very communal i think like especially with our with our local bands like it was it just always felt a bit weird because a, a lot of the the gigs you ended up playing locally was battle of the bands gigs as well oh wow so, uh, other than, yeah exactly yeah. and other than our our own promotions company like there was that was the only other thing to play so it it was just always a bit weird. Well, um, there's always that local attitude of we want you to do well, just not as well as us. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, and I, I think as well, like lo- lots of like all people from that scene, like you know, alternative kids or whatever, like they're all sort of quite shy anyway. So it like it it can often come across as like being a bit conceited or up yourself or not wanting to talk to people but in fact it's just because like everyone's just a bit shy right so, like yeah it's it's often quite hard to sort of like uh yeah just like become friends with like other bands and stuff when you're you're uh yeah like that the, the reason why i wanted to ask a little bit about the black sheep stuff is because it was so radical hearing like it's it's still it's still radical to hear uh electronics to the extent that it is as part of your sound yeah um but when you first started doing it with people mm. was that one was that something that it took the that it took the audience did it take the audience a while to get first and foremost right rather than the, the bands that you were playing with because i can imagine everyone would be like the fuck is that but, yeah. but the audience did it t- did it feel like it connected instantly or did it did it feel like it, it took a while for for that to, to to meld like not only in its own style and you to build it within your cre- your creations yeah but for people to understand them Gee, i don't know you know um it it felt like 
there, there were like a few little pockets locally that seemed to just grasp straight away. Like, I mean, like ultra locally, like Hitchin and Amersham and like all these little kind of outcrops around London would, I think where they had like, you know, they didn't get the, the bigger touring bands. So they really latched on to sort of the smaller local bands that were kind of pushing out a little bit more. Um, and they seemed to get it straight away, really. I, I, I think because it was so, like, for the first album, it was it was very meshed into sort of a, a party atmosphere. It was, ve- like, so positive. Like, the, the whole... Everything we really talked about back then was just unity. So it was all about just coming together to have a good time and not really much... Agree- in bits, it was more than that. But, mm. And I think people could latch onto that straight away. Mm. I think people were beginning to tire as we were of the the very sort of sectioned uh genre sort of warfare and tribalism. Mm. Um and I think with, with us our, our our school seemed to be maybe just slightly different or our friendship groups. We like Rory's brother was a drummer based DJ uh, we hung out with the sort of the skate a lot who were much more into sort of like UK garage and things like that. Uh, and then we had friends who are into like house. So we, we already had all these like other influences coming in. So for us, it felt felt natural. But I think certainly outside of those local pockets, it was just complete either hatred or just complete confusion. So I, 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 have, to, I have to bring up that Astoria show. Because it felt like so. Just in case you're like you're too young to remember this, like when just pr- just prior to Take to the Skies, it felt like there was there was this huge show at the Astoria, like an unsigned band playing to a jam packed Astoria. Um, how, did that feel like a moment where um, to to you within your ranks as a band? Did it feel to you like a moment where it's not just going to be a local thing? Did it did did it did the bigger things feel more achievable uh after that moment or did you did it not alter that mindset at all no i I wasn't like very reflective like at all i was just very much just one day at a time just a bit bewildered but i think because it was happening so slowly like literally over four years just slowly building up that bit bigger audience as we toured around the uk each time and even though that was definitely like a milestone, it just kind of felt like, oh, wicked! That's another little little pigeon step. Mm. Um, it didn't feel like this big grandiose moment in time because even because like we're, we're, like now when as we sit here in 2017, I, 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 maybe it's because it was it was the first time that I'd seen your banner gone like fuck me, wow. Um, so maybe it's 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 more of a personal thing yeah. than, than rather like trying to project it onto you guys. Than, no, than well, it. looking back, like like definitely, like I, I, I think I was just so wrapped up in it that I perhaps did I didn't see the sort of how how big it it, it really was for, for us and, mm. and like and for the scene and everything else. Like, what you know, at that stage, like people every day were sort of telling us you're, you're the the, the only the second unsigned band to sell out the Astoria um, the darkness had, being the other just in case yeah. you wondered fact fans yeah we, I mean, we just had all, all these like weird kind of things like that that people were telling us and it was just like it just felt strange and you, I think the only sane way to react to like things like that when it's becoming like so big and so bewildering is just to kind of 
just stay in the in the present so maybe mm. it was like a defense mechanism more than anything well yeah um, like you you've as a group of people you've never struck me as the kind of grandiose sort of like yeah woo high-fiving pouring gatorade on each other like do you know what i mean celebrating <laughs> yeah, yeah, these yeah. big moments it's always yeah. just felt like okay cool where are we planting the What's flag next, next? Yeah, yeah yeah oh exactly yeah uh uh, it's weird because I'd always sort of, especially in those days, I'd shy away from the word ambition and, and being ambitious. Like I, I, it was almost like a dirty word because um, it just it implied you want, or to me, it felt like it implied you wanted success and like money or fame and all the sort of negative things that I'd I'd sort of think about. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird weird time. But I think looking back on it, it was like. We we were incredibly ambitious and always have been, but yeah, at the time, it, yeah, you just took every moment. Is is that tied with fierce independence though? Because like, um, I, I'm gonna bring up like other bands from ar- around you at that mm. time, like in a little bit. But like, it always felt like you more than more than any of the other bands because even 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 a band as savage as gallows and who who really made a massive difference like we're still we still feel their influence oh, for, yeah. for like in the hardcore scene now like it's a thing because it mm. just it just it it didn't feel that way pre then but even they ended up on like warners yeah like did, did you did you always have that mindset of just like being in control of your of your own destiny because it feels I, it feels like such a such a like a youthful utopian kind yeah, of, kind yeah, of yeah. outlook, but it's the one that still exists in Enter Shikari today in yeah. absolutely everything you do. I, I I think at the beginning it probably probably didn't have that that outlook, and it's just strengthened and strengthened as we got on. Where not now it's like so strong, but like especially at the very start, it was about making shitty recordings in Chris's garage <laughs> getting CDs make, put, putting shitty prints on them and getting them out to anyone who would hear our music and that and we sent it to labels we did everything we could because right. we just wanted to have our music heard and that trumped any sort of I don't know ethical uh, underlying um, emotion about staying independent um, but I think a lot of that was probably also ignorance because I, I didn't know that it was possible like you know, I knew we could put on our own gigs. I knew we could make our own re- like recordings. Mm. I didn't know about like the various independent structures in place and how like uh, you know these bands were getting bigger through becoming uh, through staying independent. Um, and it wasn't until we released that first album we sort of met our management and stuff, and we sort of realised that oh, it was actually an option to to carry on this kind of wave of independence that has that is inundated like every other part of what Shikari is, it's possible to then add another limb to that beast. Um, and that's, then it just seemed to fall into place and we kind of understood it then and then have been, yeah, fiercefully, uh, yeah. I think it's that, that youthful innocence is also so vibrant on the record itself. Cause like, I must mm. admit, like I hadn't played it in fucking forever either. It's not yeah. it, like Takes of the Skies is not my, it's not my go-to uh shikari record so i had yeah. i hadn't listened to it for a while but the, the the thing that really popped off about it was that it's it's fun and it's innocent was it mm. was what i take from it like um is that is that how you view it when you look at your back catalogue 
Like, it, uh, what what do you see as the defining characteristics as Tate, of Tate to the Skies? I mean, innocence is a really interesting word because is it just a euphemism? For, no, for like no, something else? no, I, but, no. Like because it's, it's it's so it's fearless and naive right. at the same time. Yeah, so okay. that's so that's why I, I would say that. Yeah. Like in the way that like the mind sweep is this like big epic journey like that feels like a record that has to be consumed start to finish it's a yeah. journey yeah, like, yeah it's not a it's not like oh that banger from that moment in like to me like yeah. the mind sweep is this fucking all-encompassing thing take to the skies is like blasts of like like it's it's it feels like one track into the next is so like oh my god they're so different to one another so yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel like that same that same sort of journey but there's something so appealing to that. So that's why yeah. I say innocence, because I would never like, because I don't think it's, it's disjointed. I don't, I don't think it's like, um, I don't have much like negativity towards any of your releases at all. But the, the reason why I say innocence is just purely because it's so fucking bonkers, Rao, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, fair enough, yeah. Well, you know, I, I didn't even mean like, uh, did you mean it as a euphemism? But like, even even for me, I like I, I find myself just like wondering, like, th- yeah, that what what is that innocence? Where where, where did mm. it come from? Like, what does it mean? I I think just the the erraticness of it, yeah, it's just it's just so. I think again because we didn't know any different. It was just like we've got these songs. Let's put them put them on, and then we made those little interludes, um, which tried to sort of act as a bit of a glue throughout the album. Um, and I, I think that there was a there was a um, a kind of an idea or a want for some sort of structure, um, just purely from the the refrain of the standing like statues coming back at various points through the album. Um, you know, I was, I was I wanted it to be like quite theatrical, um, but yeah, it's it's weird. It, we couldn't have. I don't think we we would have made we would have made a totally different album if it if we had more time. Like we were literally in the studio for two weeks, which thinking wow. about now is just insane. Like I don't know how <laughs> we got all that done, um, but that there's there's yeah I I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like I think that you know I wouldn't change anything, even though like I find it hard to listen to because mm. the vocals. Like I still like I love the tunes um, and everything that they sort of encapsulate. Well, I'm going to stop you there then. So what's the beef with Sorry You're Not A Winner, Raoul? Oh, I've read the banana yeah. and we're, like, we're going to have this now. So I was, because I did not know about this until right. I read until I read it in, in the yeah. book, which like, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Go out and check out the book. But the bit on Sorry You're Not A Winner was a real eye opener for me. So I'll, I'll, I'm just going to leave it open ended as that. What is, I'll take the floor, mate. What is it with Sorry You're Whoa. Not A Winner? Because it was the breakthrough moment for yeah. that, undeniably. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just because we had no expectations for that track to mm. be it. So it it we were just confused, I think, more than anything. And because that was... I mean, it's, it's slightly poetic because my memory may fail me, but I think me and Rory were chatting about this the other day, and I think it was one of the first tracks we ever made. Uh, I remember taking that the riff to Rory because I play guitar before we were just a three piece I didn't know and, that um, either Amazing. yeah yeah and uh, and yeah th- that feels like uh, we've got photos from the very first practice at, at the Pioneer and um, where Rory we were sort of trying him out but he was the only kind of guitarist that we, we all knew and we were like we were fairly certain that he was going to be in it so we, we were starting to learn the songs already and um, yeah so it we'd been playing that song since 2003 and when <laughs> 
when we recorded it for Take to the Skies, it was like, let's put it on there if we have to. You know, it's, yeah. it's part of the catalogue that we already have. And it's track 10 for a reason. We'll bury it out <laughs> the back end. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're on to you. <laughs> yeah. And um, that just... Our... Our desire for that track just never worked out. It seemed to just get pushed to the forefront, and it became we we put, we put it on as as the B side to Plan B, which was the first single. And um, it basically radio wouldn't, or the the little radio that we were getting in those days wouldn't play Plan B because it was too heavy. So they started playing Sorry Not a Winner. Um, had a bit more of a chorus. Um, a bit were more sing along Were and, you worried about being the clap 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 band? <laughs> Is that I'm what it is? That's still a worry. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't actually have like any beef with the track. Like you know, it, it's all right. <laughs> but I think um, it was. Ju- it was just purely a fact of being tired of it. You know, if you played a a, a track ev- every show since two thousand and three, it's gonna feel a bit kind of a bit plastic by that point um and and, and that that was why like what was it two, two years ago we just like retired it from the set for mm-hmm. nine months or something because it, it just felt like it was becoming uh too routine it was just like you know the the heart wasn't in it anymore it was just it was just like brushing your teeth or something you know? yeah so um but yeah now, now it's back in the set and it, and it feels it feels fresh again we've kind of spruced it up a little and it and especially in the context of these sets that we're playing with all everything else from Take to the Skies, it's weird. It completely changes it. Like your mindset playing it live, it it kind of. Whereas before, all all the nostalgia had been beaten out of the track for me because of the routine and because of the mm. repetition. Now it's all it's all just come flooded back because it's it's in with its its mates, its family. You, you <laughs> mentioned well, you mentioned about sprucing up because that's. That's what I like. I was saying to my wife before before I came down here because I was buzzing about the show. To be honest with you, awesome. and I was I was saying to her, I was like, the the best thing about it is like I have no idea how they're going to take it because you could turn up and they just play it as as faithful to the originals yeah. as it is, or something that I've always liked about your band is that like to my ears as well, a rocker speaks like electronics have a have a tendency to date a lot a lot faster than than rock stuff Definitely. so something that i've always like really loved about your band is that that you would you will fuck with that like mm. so you won't allow your songs yeah, yeah. to be swallowed by that you'll throw in technological advances and all the rest of it yeah. so have you have you twisted have you twisted the melon of the songs on yeah. take to the skies for this tour a little bit like a bit of both really right like, that i mean it's a great point like the the kind of the march of electronic music is relentless. Like things date so quickly. Um, so I mean, t- we've, at the moment we've got a thing on stage. You'll you'll, you'll see later tonight the Alpha Sphere, which is kind of the forefront of, of MIDI technology, and that that's cool. Chris is playing it, so w- watch right. out for that. I will. Um, but yeah, no, I think as well. It just it keeps it. It makes it feel more honest for us because it just it keeps it fresh. And um, but yeah, th- there's a there's a lot of tracks that are just completely. Untouched. I mean, today won't go down in history. We've never played that live ever. Wow, like not even, not even not back even, in the day. No, and not even practiced it. Like, we recorded it and that was it. Mm. Um, not out of any spite for the track. Like, I love the track. To be honest, I think it's the one, it's the track on, the one track on the album that would 
probably fit on any of the other albums. Mm, like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's got that sort of very humble, sort of timid but kind of timeless feel to yeah. it. Like, um, so yeah, we wanted to keep that in its original form and try and just play that live for the first time and yeah, not not fuck with it too much. So I wanted to ask. Um, so like uh, we were kind of talking about it before before we started recording, but I wanted to save it for now, which was like. Did it ever? Was it ever a worry that um, that that this would be seen as a regression, like doing Tate to the Skies? Because you just done. I mean, I'm about. To, uh, we'll talk about the arena shows in a bit. Cause <laughs> I've been, mate. I've been dying to. Talk, I've not seen you since that show, so I've been dying to talk to you about it. But did you ever wor- worry that, like, going back and doing something like Tate to the Skies? Because I was, I, I was, I was really taken aback when I saw it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, def- definitely. It, it was. We always. I, I think with the music we make, we try and not. Panda's not the right word, but kind of think about the the audience and their wants and desires. Because sometimes an audience doesn't know what it wants. Yeah. And desires. Um, but I think once we've recorded stuff, when we put it out, we're extremely nervous of like what people are going to think, and and that's the same exactly the same with this with this scenario. Like. <sighs> I don't know what more I, I, I can add, really, like, from, from what, what we said earlier. Like, mm. it's just... It, it feels like to allow ourselves one... Uh, yeah, no, it's because of the the position that we're in now, like, we're all just, like, entering our 30s. Mm. Like, it feels like... And, and also writing this book and, and releasing it and having all the lyrics in one place, it feels like a bit of an end of an era. And I, and I know, like we have and probably most bands after each album will say that but it kind of even more so it feels like that and and with writing the new music at the moment it it feels not a departure but it it feels a much bigger jump than than ever before it feels like something really different so with all that being said i think to allow ourselves this this one sort of little just moment to catch our breath almost you know what i mean like just kind of look back and uh witness like the the trail of destruction behind us and uh revel in it for for a moment which is something we've never allowed ourselves to do we've always been uh kind of on the train yeah religiously like looking forward so yeah it just it just feels like the right time to do something like this and it just so happens that it's 10 years since the first album so it felt it felt right that was that was one of the questions that i was going to ask later on was was like the the fact that it's this this book has come as such a like it, like a like a um a document of shikari up to now made me wonder about the next step creatively mm. um when you say different and i know that the material is still taking taking shape and all that sort of thing so yeah. you'd be low i know you'd be loath to kind of talk in def- indefinite yeah um when you say uh because I, I was going to save this for the end but i'm going to ask you now like I saw something on Rory's Twitter um, a little while ago. Let me get it up on my phone so that I can <laughs> so that I can talk in sure. indefinites rather than right. Bear with me, <coughs> two seconds. Like a pro, eh? <laughs> Should probably put some like ele- some some elevator music in at this point. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, Rory posted a poll on his Twitter that was asking people what their favourite oh, Shikari yeah. album is. Yeah. And Take to the Skies was twenty five percent. Common Dreads was twenty three percent. 36% was a flash flood of colour and the mind sweep was only 16% oh. 
as that. Yeah, I didn't was, see the end of that. Yeah, pod. like because because that was because to, to, to me speaking, frankly, I think the mind sweep is the best thing you've done. Um, so we, we, again, with no disrespect to the rest of it, but like so, the departure is that in any way? Uh, do you think that people got the mind sweep? Who can tell, man? Like I, I think gut instinct. But it, I, we, I didn't have like. I never really have a kind of vision of what the record's going to do, like in terms of its success. Yeah. I always hate using that word because it's, no, no, no. it's so open to interpretation. Of course. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know really. I, I think for, for me that, you know, any artist thinks their last bit of work is, is their best, the most proud, and that, that, it, that is the case with the mind sweep. Um, but it is, I mean, you, a good way of looking at it is, is from the lyric book, like, you, the lyrics in the mind sweep are so much more like detailed and in depth and esoteric mm. and intense really. And I, I think the album is as well. Like it, it is a journey and it, ha it kind of should be listened to from, from front to back. And so, so maybe it is harder to, to get into. I, mm. The thing is I, with, with our audience, I, I like, I, I feel such a strong connection with them because our music like, is hard to listen to. Like it's not easy listening. It's like it's so far from like the middle of the, the road. Yeah, yeah, it's we're in the gutter. <laughs> we're, like, <laughs> we're off in a field. Like mm. it's yeah. So uh, I kind of appreciate, you know, if anyone's going to spend the time listening to it and like kind of try to understand or, or tr not try to understand the music. That sounds silly, but like to, mm. to take it in, to absorb it, and to make it their own. Mm. Um, to go with you on the journey. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's that. That's just you can't ask for any more than that. So it, it doesn't like bother me that they don't agree with me that that's my best piece of work. Like, yeah. But um, no. yeah, no, but in, in many ways, I think the, I only ask because you said, because you say it's going to be a departure from what yeah. we know. Yeah. So I, I, I think there'll be many differences from the mind sweep, but, um, yeah, it's, it's it is too too early to say with like I, any there's conviction. There's, but. there's one thing I do have to ask, and that's lyrically, because you know, like it was one thing being angry about Cameron, right? Like, because Cameron looks like a fucking cakewalk as we sit here now, <laughs> post Brexit, yeah, like yeah. post Trump. Like, I can't even imagine because, like, I live, uh, like, I'll be perfectly honest with you i live in my little bubble of rock and metal and la 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 yeah, yeah like it's it's not through it's not through ignorance it's just because every time i look at the real world i either get really angry or really yeah. sad there's no yeah, yeah. there's no level of positivity that comes out of me when i look at things like like i mean people on the left are so angry that sometimes that that they that anger is so misguided and it can kind of snipe at each other yeah. and the people from the right are fucking mental <laughs> like it just feels like everyone is angry at everyone else and we live in a time now where rock bands are are terrified about rocking the boat like mm. uh, like like the average rock band I associate now with be, with just being looking like Nickelodeon presenters and waving cans of energy drink in the air. Yeah. And we look at your band like you like you are the first band that comes to mind when someone says about politically charged um, bands. And as the as the mouthpiece for that, I mean, I can't. Where do you even start lyrically at the moment? I, I'm. Yeah, to be honest, I'm like really struggling. Like it's it, because it's just such a 
tumultuous time like there's just so much going on like, i don't normally write about like specific events or people but mm. like if i wanted to do that it would be completely impossible like there's just so much changing from day to day there's just like a new huge bit of news that like or, or something that would not even necessarily inspire me but like provoke me into writing do you know what i mean yeah like, totally there's just so much to write about and it's relentless um so yeah I, i'm really struggling but I, I i think normally what i'd like to do with lyrics is just try and step back out of it all and, try, and the main thing i try and think about is like perspective um and i think at the moment it's just harder to do that it's just mm. gonna be a bigger job to sort of ascertain what the wider picture is and try and get some sort of route that that gives that gives us music and lyrics that are the same sort of thing about unity and perseverance. Um, wow, and perspective. That's, a, that's tough today. Because yeah. like, I, I mean, like, unity is such a tough one. Yeah. Because, so, like, I mean, like, I mean, I, I won't get into it too deep because, like, I've, we've said on the podcast before, we try not to go down that road. But, like, like it, unity, like people just feel so fractured. Yeah. Like, like even something as little as like, um, well, not as little. Even as something as uh, as simple in uh, as uh, International Women's Day, something that should just be something like, okay, cool, right on. Mm. Like, feels like even that causes people to fucking shitstorm at one yeah. another. Like, do do is it even is it possible? Who knows? All you can do is try, isn't it? Like, mm. I the the thing is, there's there's so the yeah the tribalism has has kind of doubled. Like everyone kind of puts the blinkers on and stands by their political beliefs without having an inkling of just what other possibilities or other uh, things are going on. Like th this this is why I think Shikari has always tried to speak about political issues and social commentary but outside of politics and, and the spectrum because that's something that's always pissed me off like of course I see myself as someone pretty much always on the left to some degree but like as you say the infighting is is is, is always like there with the left because the left is diverse it's mm. diverse people all walks of life I'd there's, never even thought of it like that yeah yeah right. I mean there's going to be much more infighting the right have much more to unite around yeah because um, generally it's about looking after the wealthy mm. um but the the amount that that people will never like even listen to an argument from someone who's like perhaps has a, a different point of view to them mm. people are like shutting up the gates and now it's just it's all emotion and i i think w one thing we've always tried to do is be be quite logical i think i mean i say that you know and then there's like songs like gandhi make gandhi which is like <laughs> absolute <laughs> onslaught of ridiculousness but yeah. like i i think yeah sort of when, when you put the sort of the the slightly comical and bombastic aside with shikari that the, hopefully there's a bit of like uh yeah logic there and and, and kind of more of a reliance of, of science i think at the end of the day we have like with everything with like with friendships on on bigger scales with politics you have a choice between conversation or conflict like there's nothing else so and no the, one ever solved the conflict by calling someone a cunt do you know what I mean yeah exactly that I mean that's the frustrating thing sorry to well, boil it down to such a basic point but <laughs> no, you know what I mean, I mean? It, 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 yeah it smashes it like the the thing with like with Trump as well like I've been I've been trying to say it in the in the 
few days that we're here with with interviews and stuff is like the the left again is they put trump and trump supporters in the same basket where they shouldn't be like criticize trump constantly and don't stop uh, like by any means but like when you just call a trump supporter like an idiot or or a cunt or whatever that's not persuasive like you might think that they're not going to be calling persuaded. them an idiot is like no do you know what i mean they're not gonna go oh yeah i'm an idiot like yeah, no, like yeah. no one oh, no, yeah no, no one reacts that way yeah yeah if anything it's going to strengthen their views and it's going to widen the the chasm between you and them mm. so yeah it's frustrating so basically it's, it takes like and i'm not i'm not speaking this in a sort of uh, preaching way because I'm just as bad as anyone but it takes like maturity to sort of try and keep putting the emotion aside and just try and engage with people and because a lot of like people that again to continue the example like voted for Trump had actual reasons that they voted for him especially against Clinton because she was such a useless candidate um, so it's just important to, to kind of see what what their uh, their real like problems are mm. and then speak to them on just a person to person basis and try and as soon as it gets heated on any level just try and diffuse it did you right. th- did you think he'd win oh totally no way like i i i even read what was it like an article in the i think it was the economist like just before i went to bed and you know you you should feel fairly safe with the economists like they know what they're talking about this is the height of the political establishment and it was it was saying that it's safely a hillary win it's you know it's all good and then i just just woke up to like utter disbelief just like mate we were in the middle of moving here imagine oh god <laughs> um, yeah just just moping around just like what is going on what did you do, what did you do brexit night uh i stayed up Reluctantly, mm. I, d- I don't know what would have I been was better. Up, I, w- I was up watching it as well. I, I, I think, in retrospect, that was probably the the worst thing to do because I not only had the, you know, had the uh, result to deal with, I had the sleep deprivation on top of it, which makes everything worse. Mm. So um, yeah, that was grim. That was really grim. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the 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 one thing that that is central to like everything that Shikari has done has been unity. So I, I will, I will find a way. Like I, I think going back to the mind soup, I think w- one difference that will be there is simplicity. I, 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 th- I think I'm now comfortable enough to make music that's simpler. Like, and it's, it's taken what, 15 years as a songwriter, but, um, I've always wanted to be everything. Like, you know, one morning I wake up and it's like, I want to be Aphex Twin. Next morning I want to be Dillinger Escape Plan. Like, and it will just, you know, next morning fucking Stravinsky. Yeah. Like, and it will just go on like that. And and that's why Chikari's music is, is so uh, just, yeah, erratic again, I guess. <laughs> it's the best, best word to use. But um, I think I'm I'm finally comfortable with like, I, I think it's knowing that the, uh, the message will get across to more people as well. Um, if it's if it's within a simpler structure, so I'm, that's naive as hell. But that's kind of the only thing that I'm sort of set on. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, keeping all the passion, all the emotion, and all the diversity, mm-hmm. but delivering it in a more uh, sort of engageable package. Do you when people say like because it's, it's this general thing, and I know people do it from a place of ignorance, so you can only take them so seriously. But when people say there are no political bands anymore. Do you take that personally? Because, because me, as a as a fan of your band, 
Like, I get offended when people say that, because, again, like, I'm not just saying this to kiss your bum because I'm stood here. Like, you're the first band that come to mind. Mm. So when people say something like that, it really fucks me off. Mm. Like, do, do you think that's a problem, that there's this, there's this fucking assumption that there are, like, no political bands? It, I, I just try and, like, power it off as just, like, headline, uh, just bullshit. Like, people... You would presume that they don't actually believe it. They just want a headline that's going to make people read their article or make people listen to them because it's a more mm. it's a more emotional way of putting it. But that you know, there's certainly I think far gone are the glory days of like of punk, like real punk, like mindset wise. I'm, I'm not going to ever. Ha, ha, what do you mean by that? Sorry. As in like music that is subversive, that is standing up for a either a minority or being being counterculture mm. basically like that's so depressing to hear you say that well i mean yeah i'm, I'm very sure i i, I don't want to say that, that it's dead yeah of like, course. i'm not saying that but it feels like we're not we're not we're not at a peak at the moment it doesn't feel vibrant um but then there's there's you know there's other places where it feels more like to be honest I, I i feel more inspired by like pop music at the moment that feels for me not just more politically engaged but it feels more progressive as well um whereas no like, arguments out of me on this one <laughs> but like metal and punk feel just a little stagnant and again does that, does that again does that bother you that there's there's no one else with you like where the, where are all these bands? We hear this fucking this line trotted out like yeah. oh at least there'll be more politically active oh, music la I la hate, la la la. I hate that yeah, line. you you and me both. Like, but like it should be here all the time. Rock's music's fucking thing. Sorry sorry to get all on my soapbox here. No no. But our thing is it's supposed to be confrontational. No yeah. one got into rock music to fucking to dress like they're in top sh- they're from top shop and be n- nice me i always say yeah, it's yeah. nice music made by nice people uh, for for nice people mm. and like maybe that's because I, i've always been someone who's fueled by passion or anger or, or mm. whatever but to me it's always it almost feels like rock is neutered at the moment yeah, yeah, so yeah. when you say things like that i mean it bums me out i'm having to sit here and nod in agreement when you when yeah. you say that about pop or hip-hop or like especially fucking like grime i say it a lot on the show like it just bums me out that like you see that and you go that's so vibrant it's so alive it's so yeah, yeah. in your face and inescapable and here we are with our rock band singing nice music just, just yeah, fun. yeah do you know what i mean mate it's it's incredibly frustrating uh, for, for me it doesn't it doesn't affect me too much because like too busy a, doing your own shit, I guess. But. Well, yeah, but also I, I'm, I'm very, very happy to like take the bulk of my inspiration from say grime or somewhere else. Like, cause I'm always looking for new types of music. And so I'll feel part, part of that scene. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what, what to do about rock. I, I stepping back, I, I presume it's just like it's just another offset of capitalism really like pe- people as get get in a band it goes it goes well they're successful and they like you say they do not want to rock the boat they don't want to do anything because then what if if it all goes wrong they have to go back to working in a job that they perhaps don't want to do so the, the whole the vision of like rock as this the last bastion of like of counterculture and of, of of standing up 
to whatever type of oppression it seems to be slightly if if not disappearing wavering mm. um it feels well it feels like they want to like hey we just want to fit in rather than be yeah a bit like like and and again this might just be my age talking man like but i said like even now like Straight from the path, there's another band mm. that are unafraid to to, to stand yeah. up and have a dig, but it, it just it blows my mind that um, bands with your like I won't name names, but like bands with with your level of size and influence just seem to have like like it just just want to just want to fit in. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Rather than like, you've got a platform, man. Yeah. Like, th- this is it. This is, yeah. this is, the, well, at least to, to my mind, and it's not my right to speak for any band, but like, you've got a platform, man. Mm. And it's angry times. And we're an angry art form. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's almost like that, yeah, that they've been given this, you know, rock as an art form, a tool. And they're not, they're not using the tool with a, uh, proper vigor Mm, (laughs) yeah um well i I think a a lot of it might also be like not ignorance but (sighs) i have to word this carefully because like like people who've come up from a sort of safe comfortable background there's a lot more of that in rock than well to to continue the use of grime like grime is there's a lot you know people coming back coming up from sort of tougher childhoods um, and have had things to sort of rally against and have, have felt sort of reached the, the bottom, if you like. So th- there's a lot of very safe white middle class. And I say that as a white middle class like yeah, person. Yeah. Like, um, but I perhaps I just had the, the benefit, yeah, at the time it didn't feel like a benefit, but the benefit of all the sort of hardships of our local scene, of having what basically was freedom of expression, uh, culled by our, our local council, music and community culled. Um, so that immediately gave me the sort of distaste or distrust for authority. And then that blossomed from there into other sort of causes and more of a global outlook. But yeah, I, I don't know how many people have have a, a stake in things. Maybe they're just sort of, they feel that their music is, is their... I mean, this, this this goes all the way back, you know, continuing the middle class theme, mm-hmm. all the way back to like 19th century composers. You had like Wagner and Brahms. And that I think that's when the battle began between like music that should be descriptive. So basically political. You're speaking about things in the real world that matter to most people. And then Brahms was more like music should just be music for music's sake, for enjoyment. And... I obviously sit kind of firmly in the Wagner camp, but um, and and that argument still goes on. And uh, there's obviously there's there's room for both types of of music, and there always should be. Mm. Um, you know, no no one argues that like Sigur Ross isn't like the most beautiful like music that we all want to yeah to have um, the option of listening to. Um, and and obviously rock music is such a broad thing that there has to be all things for all people. But absolutely, to, but yeah. like but the, the angry the bands are there. such a like such an extreme minority for yeah. like is, is bizarre like, yeah, I, yeah. I think to myself like i can't imagine you like i i haven't seen the warp tour line up this year for for the for the state so I, it would be it would be wrong of me to, to 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 throw this at warped but like let's say for like the last couple of years when there's all those kind of bands you lot would be like I don't know, like a fucking a shot of Jameson's in the middle of loads of cream soda. I think is is the way is the way that I'd put it. Yeah, yeah. like 
yeah, I, 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 I guess I've just gone off on a tangent there, but like, yeah, I um, let's go, let's go back to music, shall we? Um, <laughs> well, I, to, to end it off, I yeah, guess, I, I, I feel like again with the simplicity, I, I said I, I did a tweet like a few few months ago that I got sort of hounded by more sort of the pop media. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what I was saying, but just like what was the, the gist of it? The 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 where are the John Lennons, the Bob Marleys, the Dylans? Mm. Um, and it ain't Miley Cyrus, is it? Like yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it, it feels like again to me now I'm I'm more spurred on to make music like that. So that's simply you know, I'm not going to sound like Bob Marley. I can't yeah. like. It's royalty I'd, I'd, right I'd, there, but I'd pay I'd pay money to hear it, Raoul. I'll be <laughs> trying. Um, but like, Coming to that's not metal in the future. <laughs> if there if there there seems to be a bit of a gap, and and again, like the caveat of like I'm not saying it's not there. There there is good socially conscious pop music, mm. but um, for me it, it feels like well, if no one's gonna like fill that gap, then I I I will squat in it. Like, yeah. like I don't feel comfortable being like a big sort of figurehead, but I'll give it a shot if no one else is going to. And I think that's what the next album will be. I love that. <laughs> I love that. But but like there's a, there's a good there's a good parallel uh, to draw here for the for the last bit that I want to talk about, which is the arena tour. Um, when you say about um, so I go to I go to a bunch of pop shows all the time. So I know it, like we have this we have this gag on on the show where we we say like people in rock music are often like just impressed impressed by a massive telly. Like is essentially right. the production. Yeah, but yeah. like <laughs> so I've seen Katy Perry riding a fucking massive horse across a, across a stage. At the moment the weekend is out and he's got a, you must have seen yeah, that yeah, fuck yeah. off spaceship he's got. But what what made your show like I, I, I said it at the time I still stand by it now like maybe maybe the best arena show I've ever seen was the level of okay so we ain't got the budget for a massive horse or a massive spaceship or like the, it wasn't it didn't even feel like it was the intention anyway mm. but it was to attack senses and to use to, to it's, it was so shikari was what I loved about it was that it was it was about like you're used to everything that's happening on the stage there is is the focus and you were playing piano in the crowd there was the quadraphonic sound it just felt so all-encompassing was it like kids in kids in a uh in a in a candy shop for for putting together the ideas for that tour because it i mean like when it was on the horizon (laughs) it was like fuck yeah shikaria and arenas yeah but like when it arrived like uh, I would, I was telling everyone I, I could fucking grab about it at the time. Yeah, yeah. But but when you were putting that together, was it was it just like was that the aim? Yeah. Well, I think it's exactly what I said on the night. Like it felt like the last ten years have been working up to like that point mm. because as much as I love and I will never not be at a dirty, sweaty little venue because that's what we grew up doing mm. and and we will still always do. Um, the the chance to have this. An arena, in effect, is a blank slate. It's just an empty, soulless... I mean, we chose at least, we hope, the better rooms, not mm. the sort of, you know, the, Ones the that corporate like advertising it. plastered everywhere, just very yeah. like, okay, are we about to see whatever on ice? Or, or yeah, is it real? Um, but, for, yeah, for us, it's a blank slate, and it means you can you can make your own environment and make your own... Again, it's almost coming back to like something that's theatre. Like it's it's more than just 
music it, it it's it's getting people to feel absorbed in something mm. like whatever that is and 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 uh, yeah i think it was, it was basically like we want to do everything we can we just do do everything at it I guess was was it uh, like was it where, how did the quadraphonic sound idea where did uh, that come from? That's basically been a dream of mine for like since God when we saw we played uh, Coachella one of the first times we came to America actually I mean probably about eight eight nine years ago um, and Roger Waters Pink oh, Floyd he did, he did Dark Side of the Moon didn't he Yeah with quadraphonic. Open air festival. Well, no. To be honest, I don't think it was even quadraphonic. He had, I can't remember exactly, but you know the sort of normal speaker stacks you get mm. the uh, throughout as you, you you know sort of sweep across the main festival yeah. uh, main stage. It was a, lo- a load more of them, and it was just sounds coming from every direction. It was such an experience, and for us then that was like it kind of said jokingly, but like if we can ever do that. Like, that's it. Like, that's what we want to do. And again, it's that weird thing of, like, perhaps not recognising it, but ambition being very much there. And um, so it got to the stage when we, we were doing arenas, and I sort of... I hadn't forgotten about it and kind of brought it up. And everyone was like, oh, yeah. Like, And so we had some pretty intense conversations like with our sound crew, and uh, a lot of people sort of said it's, you know, it's not doable, and, you, you know, came back with all the reasons why it wouldn't mm. work. And we're like, nope. We want reasons why it is going to work. And um, it, it basically meant we had to do so much of, of the work ourselves, which I'm absolutely fine with, but it was so intense. It was like f- three months of basically an office job. Like, well, not not even a nine till five. It was more like a, a nine till nine, like every day, just like I can programming. Relate, mate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like programming the full, the full set from stereo into double stereo, if you like. So making it, it's, I mean, it's a completely different like experience, both for the listener and for the the programmer. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of work, but it it just felt like something natural. It's just like, well, we have we have this stupidly big venue. We've been given this, like, and it, and it's nuts that we've got to this stage. So it just it felt like the natural thing to do. You know, why have so many speakers when you can double them (laughs) what I loved about it was that these things always feel like events when you've rode with a band for a while when you've been a fan of a band for a while and they reach like what is the holy grail the promised land like what we get asked on the show a lot when it comes to questions is who are the next big bands blah 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 blah. so when bands reach there it always feels like an event and it always feels like an achievement and like we've all done this together almost um but to to then like to have that the level of achievement must have felt like uh, to go back to what we were saying about the Astoria earlier on to kind of bring it all full circle there must have been a hell of an amount of when you went in there like from sound checking it on the first day and all of that but to like especially like being there that night at Ali Pali and of course it's documented now on the live album I mean that must have felt fucking unbelievable on the night just surreal man like it is that we did nottingham was the the first like proper arena show of the tour and that was so that 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 was just like a slap in the face like there were tears like it was it felt it that that was possibly the first time like because we talked about this story like for me it felt like just another pigeon step but that 
because of the expanse of the venues and we we played a lot of these venues like supporting various you know 30 seconds to miles or whatever back in the day but to then be doing them ourselves it still felt like we were the opener or something it was like so what time are we on like seven yeah (laughs) but then then the ali pali which is for me that's just such a legendary venue like Mm. i remember prodigy all-nighters and stuff like that like it's just yeah it's an amazing place and the fact that it's all standing it's just everyone in the same area like it's just the perfect venue for us really um and yeah it was just mad there's just just no words i loved one of my favorite bits of the whole show was you standing on a piano with the confetti thing that just went pop. oh yeah <laughs> well, the, the thing i loved about it because because it was it was literally like someone stood with a party popper letting yeah, one yeah, off yeah yeah uh, it was like <laughs> it, it felt almost like well that's what you're used to because yeah. you know the 70s and 80s had the inflatables and like yeah. we're used to pyro and light show so it almost felt like you were taking the piss standing there and letting that confetti thing off I was like, yeah. yeah, well, that's your usual thing. And then to be ending <laughs> with the the hospital records logo on there and that unbelievable amount of sound, like it just felt like that one moment was almost acknowledging, because it felt it felt to me like the future. It felt like, it felt to me like the fucking Jetsons or something. Just <laughs> just something like I I I I hope to I hope that obviously that you're not ripped off, but I hope that people use their own imaginations after that use it as in use it as inspiration yeah like if you're out there if, if, if there's anyone listening to this because i know you're out there and you do um like in big in big bands and in bands that have aspirations to that just getting there and getting to the promised land and putting on a normal show is one thing but always aspire for more and that was that to <laughs> me it was just the perfect em- uh, encapsulation of your band in one night thank you so man. i really appreciate no it. man thank you that was it was fucking great and i really hope i really hope we get the chance to see you do it again yeah absolutely and yeah, uh, big time. uh like and if if you were for argument's sake to go back to arenas yeah would you be looking to rip up the blueprint again oh we certainly couldn't do the the same thing yeah like you know it, it, we'd have to because loads, of, loads of people would have heart attacks all over the place at having yeah. to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know what we do. Uh, there, there's always, there's always ideas there. Like, I mean, we're we're already like starting to think about shows, even though the music isn't even written. Like, there's a, there's a lot of like exciting things. Yeah. Do you think we'll get a record this year? Hopefully, yeah. Cool. That'll yeah. do. That'll do me. Yeah, man. Rao, thanks as always for your Thank time, you, man. Mate. Cheers. So there you have it. I did promise ranting and I did promise explosions and I don't like to let you down. None of us do at That's Not Metal. Uh, Thanks, Rao, for his time. I have to say, he's one of the most fascinating and sharp people in rock music. I like the fact that he can make me think I I, I am a bit of a know-it-all and it's nice when someone can say things that make you go, oh, I never thought of it like that. So I hope more than anything else, I hope that that makes you even more pumped for the Tates of the Skies show that is coming to the UK. They're going to be headlining Slam Dunk Festival. Do get your tickets. There's going to be bands announced for that tomorrow that we will discuss on Friday's show. I also caught the show at the Roxy that night and whoo! 
But I'll be talking about that on Fridays. That's not metal. So do subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. And I really do have to say this. I'm not doing this as an advert. I'm doing it because I'm holding it in my hands now. And it is a fantastic, fantastic read. Dear Future Historians, and it's available on Enter Shikari's website. Go and check it out. It's in the store section of that. I promise you, man, it's £35, but it's put together so brilliantly. It's a hardback book. It's a fascinating, fascinating insight into one of the uh, most interesting bands around. And also, you've got to hear what his beef is with Sorry You're Not A Winner, right? What's wrong with him? Clap, clap, clap. We're all about that life. Anyway... I'll see you Friday along with Mr. Stephen Hill for more That's Not Metal, powered by Marshall. Hashtag live for music. Thanks for joining us today. We will see you soon. See you Friday, in fact. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.